I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a podcast all about wellness and lifestyle and food. And today, a lot of yoga. Yes. And, and a podcast drama. about our relationship, which and will be at the us. top of the show, which we will get into because we love talking about ourselves. I think that it's informative, okay? It's not just narcissistic. It's informative not narcissistic. of what to do, what not to do. I think <laughs> it's it's a mirror that we're holding up to people who listen to free cookies. Black, black mirror. We are joined on today's show by Gina Caputo, the yogini. There you go. On the loose. She will join us later. But first. But first. Do you want, do you want me to intro this or should you? I, I feel like you're pretty excited to intro this, so you should bring it on. So anyone who listens to the show knows that Catherine Budig is obsessed with Jurassic Park. From season two, from season two, you know that I am obsessed with Jurassic Park. Yes. Okay. So that's what I mean, listeners of the show. And I would just like to clarify: it's not like I have Jurassic Park mugs and T-shirts and posters currently. Maybe I did when I was younger. So because we did read from your childhood diary. Yes, that I bought a poster. And you saw the movie and you wrote about it in your childhood diary. And I actually wrote a school paper on Jurassic Park. That also happened. But that was 12, 13-year-old Catherine. I got an A on it, too. Of course you did. You're a fabulous writer and you're very smart. Right. But since 1993, there have been four more Jurassic Parks? Number five is about to hit. Number five is about to hit, which is part of the renaissance of this Jurassic Park discussion is because, and we are not being paid by Steven Spielberg or Jurassic Park or Chris oh, Pratt. I don't, I don't although think he's been involved for a long time. He Pratt, can pay me. Do you know his Instagram name is Pratt, Pratt, Pratt? Pratt, Pratt, Pratt. Hey, Pratt, Pratt, Pratt. So the newest Jurassic Park drops, <laughs> and we have been going down the rabbit hole of Jurassic Parks. The whole... What's, how do you we've say that going, word, that French We've been word, going oeuvre. down the DNA strain. The oeuvre. What is it when it's like resume, but it's French? Oeuvre? Anyway, uh, I'm going to, you guys email me. Je ne sais quoi. That's the, I don't know what. I, the, I, je ne sais quoi. Oeuvre. That's not how that works. But <laughs> this is the conversation that we want to have, is we were recently watching the third installment of Jurassic Park, sandwiched between us watching the fourth and the second installment, and I can't for the life of me recollect what in spurred me to ask this question while Jurassic Park was on, but I essentially asked Catherine if for some reason we were in a situation like Jurassic Park, whether she thinks that I would be helpful and a valuable member of the team to extract ourselves from a dangerous situation like being stuck on an island with man-eating dinosaurs. Sure, and to, to clarify, I don't think that you would be the character in the movie who sees the T-Rex and just starts shining a massive flashlight in their eyeballs. Well, that was an 11-year-old who screaming. did that. that I know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting the bar really, really low. Uh, but I let's put it this way. We live in Charleston, South Carolina, where our state bird is the cockroach, basically. And they are prevalent regardless of how you monitor your household. And sure. if Kate sees a cockroach, small or large, or bug of any shape or form, maybe the only thing that we could leave out there would be a fly. 
is that she like will either. almost like a cartoon character tap dance on her tippy toes and hold her hands close together and, and talk about how I need to deal with that and I need to get that out of the house. You mean you need to deal with it? Yes. Yeah, not, I'm that's, not that's saying That's me to being you on your tippy toes saying, you need to do that. You need to get rid of it. But you're burying the lead that when I asked you, would do you think that I would be a valuable member of the team if we got stuck? Judging from how you react around a cockroach, I'm going to go with a hard no. Right. So your answer was no. And I 100% agree that I react poorly, quote unquote poorly, around bugs. But that doesn't mean necessarily in my mind that I wouldn't be helpful in a situation like us getting stuck on Jurassic Park. I think you are a very eloquent speaker and a phenomenal writer and that you pick up skills like hosting TV shows quickly. I'm not entirely sure how you would do if you got mud on your Jordans, for starters. I think I would very, I think I truly believe that I would very quickly recognize that the cleanliness of my that Jordans. you have an extra pair at home, so we're going to probably be okay. Assuming that that we would get be very there. low on the totem pole. And I know that we're sort of making Says this. the woman who will walk around a very shallow puddle if she has of on course. her Jordans. Uh, but doesn't everyone walk around shallow puddles regardless of what footwear they're wearing, unless they're wearing rain boots? Everyone would walk. Like, if you can avoid a puddle, you avoid a puddle. Let's put it this way. Avoid the puddle and go the extremely long way. Do you know what I would be good at? Is if I was looking at the puddle, because I would see the puddle, and I would be more aware of puddles than anyone else. And you know what can happen on Jurassic Park when there's a puddle? You can see the reverberations of the T-Rex's footfalls from a mile away. So, so because you're not in the puddle, you would be able to see the reverberations? I would be paying attention to the puddles more than anyone else, and I would see the footfalls of the T-Rex before anyone else. And I feel that we're making this a joking discussion, but I did sense that for you, it was more of a statement that you don't think I'd be great in a crisis. Ooh, being put on the spot yeah, right this now. Is, this is straight truth. There are some common sense things that might happen in crisis moments that I would not not have you on my team, but you might not be on your team. Pick one. <laughs> what does that mean? Draft one, round one. Oh, like if it was a kickball draft. Yes. And there was like 20 random people plus me. And you had to pick a team and you were going into crisis, triage, some sort of dire there's situation. There's just things like, you know, if you can't get a can open or there's just there's a few like very basic things where I feel like if I saw you try a few different methods, I would be like, oh, you know, on Jurassic Park, she's going to be OK and she's going to think outside of the box. I, I just see you. I don't think it's a lack of intelligence, but maybe a lack you of... You don't think it's a lack of intelligence? No. I hope you can confidently say it's not a lack of intelligence. I can confidently say it's not a lack of intelligence. And if we got off the island, I think you would write an amazing memoir about our experience. See, this is where I, I did anticipate that you would go with not choosing me, praising but not, you. not choosing me <laughs> for I am the Jurassic you. Park team. Well, yeah, you're praising me in an avenue that I'm very grateful that you think that I'm good in. 
I want to be seen as more competent in other avenues. And it's not the avenue of being, I don't think I'm going to be the team member on Jurassic Park who is uh, like the mastermind of the machinery. And well, of course, I don't expect you to break the code on the computers and figure no, out no, how to lock the so, doors when the Velociraptor is trying to get in. I think you need people on your team in Jurassic Park who are also very strategic and that's where I think my value would come into play. Could you give us an example? Well, when on Jurassic Park, like you have to find, you have to know where the power switch is. You do run very fast. Turn on the light. And I'm not suggesting that I'm like a great engineer, but I do think that I'm very good at like clues and some level of puzzle solving. You, by the way, are a fantastic puzzle solver. Thank you. Because we've done puzzle rooms, like escape rooms, and you're very good at them. So I think... If you had a well-rounded Jurassic Park team, you'd be like, yes, Kate does give up if the can opener doesn't work and she doesn't look for a backup can opener, nor would she ever take like a knife to it and poke holes on either side, which I think if we were in the wilderness, I would try. But since we're in our home and you probably have a faster solution, I would just lean on you. So you have all of the, you have the people on your team that execute in these various avenues. And I... I feel like I would be a highly recruited member of your team for strategery. For strategery. And also to document. I, I See, I think you're the memoirist. You would be the one who would make us all the money once we survived and we got off of the island. But if I'm on your team, apparently you don't think you'll get off the island. Well, I would be too busy choking out the dinosaurs and oh, keeping so you, us alive. So you would jiu-jitsu the dinosaurs. So you feel like you would be a highly valued member of this Team. You know, maybe if I could get the chokehold on the dinosaur, then you could hopefully have some instrument I could read of pain. poetry to it. <laughs> I, by the way, I actually think I would draft you first for my Jurassic Park team. I, that makes me emotionally so confused right now, but thank you. I love you. I love you. A little background on our guest, Gina Caputo. She is the Yogini on the Loose, founder of the Colorado School of Yoga, and as many affectionately call her, Captain Colorado. She's been teaching for nearly two decades and is seriously one of the most passionate humans and teachers I have ever known. Uh, we met back in the day at her studio, Kansas City Yoga, and you can listen later for the bad joke on that. And we have also co-taught a 200-hour teacher training together. She is a badass in the kitchen, a total connoisseur of food. So obviously, we're basically really simpatico. And a note on sound. You'll notice that the audio isn't great because we had to patch her in from Boulder, Colorado. So apologies for that. But uh, if you want to check out more about Gina after this podcast, you can find her on social media as Yogini on the Loose or you can check her out at GinaCaputo.com. So without further ado, let's bring on Gina. All right, now we are joined by Gina Caputo, who is the yogi on the loose. Yogini. Oh, no, did I mess it up already? We're going to keep going anywhere. We're going to follow the yogini through. on the loose. <laughs> what did I say? Yo- yogi on the loose? Yes. Oh, sorry. Is that a male-female thing? Yes. Sort of, yeah. So I just gender, I just, you just misgendered her. <laughs> misgendered you. <laughs> wow. 
And you know what? I'm gonna plow. I'm gonna plow ahead anyway. And the founder of the Colorado School of Yoga. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Right. And it just so happens that Gina and Catherine are very good friends. And Indeed. When I've been around and you get these two together, one, it's very funny and enlightening. <laughs> and they also have some really interesting thoughts about the yoga world. So let's start here, Gina. What's your favorite cookie? Oh. <laughs> it didn't see that coming, huh? Well, I had an inkling, but I've got an answer because if it's a question about food, I've thought about it. So I really um, hope it's what I think it's going to be. I don't know, babe. I My favorite cookie, hands down is the compost cookie. Oh, Oh, from milk, from milk bar. It's like her cookies, but what I love is that there's no limit or rules about what you could put in. So for example, from her, I do put in cornflakes, but I've gotten some other ideas from other compost cookies, including things like, of course, chocolate chips, also perhaps peanut butter chips, I've made potato chips, potato chips, pretzels, cocoa crispies, coffee grounds. I mean, oh, yeah, coffee grounds. Yes, rebel. What if you made a compost cookie with oats and raisins? (laughs) Uh, I think raisins are evil, but I would put oats in there. You bet. (laughs) Then we could just call it an oatmeal raisin cookie. If you insist upon it, but I'll tell you, I like the compost cookie because. I like my cookies like I like my world, you know, inclusive, diverse, oh my God, girl. Wow. and stuck together. Oh, my God. <laughs> you see, Gina, I was secretly hoping you were going to say your favorite cookie is well, are the Dunkers from oh Trader Joe's, oh which God. I introduced Gina Caputo to Dunkers from Trader Joe's. I and anyone who have evolved. Hasn't, no, not evolved. I still would take a tub of Dunkers... Over an oatmeal raisin cookie any day. Well, you I, can take cardboard over an oatmeal raisin cookie. That's not that's entirely true. true. <laughs> I rue the day you introduced me to those dunkers because they are definitely in the category of <laughs> you can't eat just one. And they're standing up in their package looking all slender and nonchalant. So you really think nothing <laughs> of like sliding five of them down your gullet. And so now they're off limits. I literally can't go to Trader Joe's anymore because of that. <laughs> reach Gina for reach. Although I'm hoping if our career at Free Cookies and, and elsewhere doesn't work out that maybe I'll get hired as at Trader Joe's as a snack tester or a snack creator. I feel that I would be excellent at that job. Like a snack master, so to speak. Yes. I would be the the snack yogini on the loose. Yogini on the loose. Okay. Now that we've got the important stuff out of the okay. way. When you were running Kansas Shitty Yoga and <laughs> you had Catherine come in and guest teach, yeah. this is a question for both of you. What was your relationship like to yoga at that time, with yoga? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. You want me How to go far, first? I feel like, do you remember what year that was, Gina? Oh, I can't say that I do. I feel like I've known Maybe you for eight, nine-ish? Yeah. It was a while ago. Yeah. I, was, I was definitely traveling my butt off at that yeah. point, yeah. doing workshops yeah. almost every single week. Um, it was definitely past my Ashtanga days. Mati, my mentor, Mati Asrati, had left Yoga Works 
but I was still very much immersed in a regular asana practice, vinyasa flow practice. And at that point was still teaching a pretty considerable heft of advanced asana. But I don't mean logistically, what was your relationship like with yoga? I mean, emotionally, what was your relationship like with yoga? Uh, I still loved it at the time. I, I was still very much enjoying the, the, enjoying the travel, enjoying uh, the, I I still to this day actually enjoy the one-on-one experience with my students, but I think I still had some wanderlust and was uh, very much longing for that road tripping yoga teachering experience. Right. Yeah. And I would say I, I have constantly been driven, which is why I had studios. So it's the same as today in the sense of I've constantly felt this insatiable drive to bring yoga in the most accessible way possible to as many folks as I can. And that was kind of the idea is, you know, diversifying from like what we, we did there at the studio and bring in other guest teachers like Catherine. Um, But, you know, as I, as she asked about the year and I pondered your question, I also realized I don't really recall. I know that social media existed then, of course, but I certainly don't recall it being such a big deal because I don't no. remember like snapping boomerangs and well, certainly not boomerangs, but like I, I, I don't. Rem- I, we were paying attention to you, not taking video, and uh, I still remember yeah. making posters and all that. So, to your question, Kate, I feel like. The relationship was probably a little, like, there was just a little less fatigue around yoga in general, I suppose, you know? Such a good way of putting it. Yeah, like... Fatigue personally and in general? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, certainly not as much personal fatigue, but just now it's kind of become this thing where we're also, we all follow each other on social media. And then if we're doing our business, we're also constantly plugging things into it. And it, it certainly um, feels like too much sometimes, you know? And so I think like you see that in this desire to unplug now and like that wasn't there then, you know, not, I'm not saying you never wanted to take a break, but I mean, now I feel like the impetus, like, oh God, I need to take a digital detox. I need to get away. Right. That, that wasn't a part of it. So I don't think that we felt quite as just saturated. Like it didn't feel like, in, you know, social media Thanksgiving every day, <laughs> you know, we had like, and I'm full. I definitely <laughs> want to talk more about that social media fatigue, but just on the topic of fatigue, I'm really intrigued by... Um, so you were the owner of that studio prior to that. You were managing um, Exhale in yep. Venice, California, and then you opened your school in Colorado. I, I just, I would love to, I, all the yoga owner, yoga studio owners that I know have always told me if there's one thing that you shouldn't do, it's open a yoga studio. Yeah. And, and and it's funny because people who don't know me well will regularly ask me, why don't you just open your own studio? Yeah. Isn't that yeah. kind of the pinnacle thing that you're supposed to reach as a yoga teacher? To which I kind of chuckle and say, you know, I've just never desired it. It's never been on my wish list to own my own studio space. 
And not to mention it terrifies me because I have friends who own them. I see what goes into it. And then there's also this really dark side that I've seen when I travel to studio owners about the competitiveness between studios and, you know, who's who's the biggest studio on the block and defending each other's turf. And I don't know. I would just love to hear you speak to that for people sure. listening who might want to open their studio or experiencing that. And you're just so... You're so wise. Tell us, tell us oh. the wise things, Gina. Oh, well, thank you. I don't know if I'm wise, but I'm experienced. I'll tell you that. So I would, I would rephrase the statement that you mentioned of, you know, don't open a yoga studio to be something like, if you love teaching yoga, <laughs> that's not why you should open a studio. Because once you do, so much of your work moves away from teaching and moves mm-hmm. into all of the administration of a business. And one of the biggest challenges we have is both the people involved and the world at large understanding that this is actually a business. You open a sandwich shop, that's a business. You open a clothing store, that's a business. An accounting firm, all those things, these are businesses. And you pay the same kind of a rent as those businesses. You pay your utilities. You have landlords. You have, you know, all of the same things. Um, and yet, uh, the paradigm is not the same. You know, uh, I don't really experience people going standing in line at at uh, I don't know Starbucks and asking for let's just put it this way exceptions for just about everything you can imagine. And mm-hmm. so that starts. Like the when the perceived value of yoga uh, keeps going down, um, it, it makes life harder for these business owners who are studio owners. So, I would just say that, like, if you've got this unbridled passion for teaching, opening a studio may very likely be the fastest way to quash that. You know, I, I remember Max having a conversation with me early on that I was just too naive to really take in, but here I am two decades later or whatever it is, not two decades yet, but quite a bit later. And he said, you're going to see it all. You're going to see the side that you love about yoga and yoga teachers and yogis. And you're going to see all the shadow side. And, you know, I was just naive enough to think like, yeah, yeah, you know, thanks for the tip. And then, and then all those things happened. And this is where I get very sensitive around teachers that maybe underestimate the power of the teacher-student relationship uh, and that it's one to be cherished and treated very, very mindfully and not abused because when there's a student who may like you as a friend uh, or, gosh, I mean, maybe they're interested in you as a partner or a lover or whatever – and you're their yoga teacher. I mean, there's dual relationships going on there or more. And so it's a responsibility that I think is difficult for many teachers themselves to grok because we don't talk about it enough, I guess. Um, or the paradigm is such that you can do anything you want as we look back at some teachers that took extreme liberties with mm-hmm. their students, you know? So it, 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 I, I I learned a lot. It was like baptism by fire. It was like baby Gino had, I mean, these were the days where I was like still wearing a bracelet that had like a back bend etched into it. I mean, it was like, I was so just like yoga, everything. 
<laughs> and and I learned a lot. And and then when I opened my subsequent studios, the motivation there, these were in Kansas City and a surrounding area. The reason I did that, even after my experience, is because we didn't have very much yoga at, in those areas. I look at it as like the greatest education. And I would say to come full circle to someone that wanted to open a studio <laughs> is do it because you want an education, not because you love to teach. Just keep teaching if you love to teach. So as a, as someone who knows nothing, knew nothing about yoga before meeting Catherine, the two of us have had numerous conversations about like my perspective on yoga coming from someone who didn't practice it to the point of uh, attachment in any way. And so I have this, I have this theory that Catherine and I have talked about previously, which is that in yoga, unlike a lot of other arenas, specifically the sports arena, you're supposed to pretend like you're not competing with anyone or comparing yeah. yourself to anyone. Whereas like in sports, in actual sports, like if you're an athlete, obviously you're competing and even working for ESPN, we're covering sports and like, nobody's ridiculous enough to pretend like we don't want the same jobs. We don't want it's more page different. views. Yeah. yeah. I mean like, and then when I look at yoga, it's like because of the teachings of yoga it's as if everyone in yoga has to pretend that they're not actually competitive humans. And I feel yeah. that, that then manifests some really, really passive aggressive, like latent uh, atmosphere that permeates a lot of people in the yoga world. Um, yeah. And I didn't know like what, whether you, what of that you agree with and what you, if you agree with it, what you've seen of that. Yeah, I totally agree that uh, th there's competitiveness and then there's a whole other slew of emotions that we're, quote, not supposed to feel because yoga uh, and, and competitiveness is for sure one, as well as judgment, as if all of a sudden we're supposed to pretend that we're not discerning human beings. When you've been wired to be judgmental, it's for your well-being. You know what I mean? Like you had to be able to assess this is good, this is bad. Now yoga is trying to teach us like, don't be a slave to that. Start to bring some awareness to that process so it's not just happening in that like rudimental uh, reptilian brain kind of way. Like but, a dinosaur. Yeah, right. Exactly. A velociraptor. Um, but I would, say, I would say that, yes, there's a whole slew of emotions we're not supposed to have. And my great concern with that is that for sure what you said, that it leads to some passive aggressive and, and otherwise behaviors that really don't benefit anybody. Um, but the other thing is it, it, it makes, it sets us up to, um, basically deny wholeness, you know, where it's like, these are acceptable behaviors. These are not. And mm -hmm. I think there's a whole spectrum of emotion that we don't feel that we can publicly feel, uh, because of yoga in the yoga world or in general, do you I believe, I believe, especially in the yoga world, I agree with you in the world world, you know, you're, you're, well, especially on the social media platform where we're supposed to project either for sure. how perfect we are or how incredibly raw and quote unquote real for sure. Yeah. But, but even in the marketing of yoga, like I've always said this and I'm still remembering your question, Kate, but I, I'm, I'm, rem I think of this. If we were honest about yoga, it is not the way it's marketed, which is like, it's 
peaceful and calm and happy and mm-hmm. good vibes only. It's a, oh. it's, it's a shit disturber, you know? Do you know what's the, qu- the great quote that you've <laughs> quoted? It's not your quote, but you've quoted it before about meditation, how it's one insult after another. Yeah. Chogim Trumpa Rinpoche said, meditation is like one insult after another. And the practices that we do, I'm afraid that if teachers start to feel that they can only present, let's say, themes or insights that are in this positive spectrum, not only are we denying people's wholeness, including our own, but are we really helping people work with life? You know, because life isn't all good vibes only. So I, I, I always feel like, wouldn't it be funny if we were more honest about the way that what we're doing in this practice? And we said things like, <clears throat> come down to Gina Caputo yoga and we'll suffer together just the right amount. <laughs> and so the reason I go to, I say all of that, Kate, is because then I feel like we wouldn't have to be pretending things like competition. So any business is going to experience competition, I suppose, unless you're a monopoly or you have this very unusual like import export business or something. You know what I mean? Like there's more than one restaurant. There's more than one of so many things. So we're all going to experience it. And some good advice I got from Bobby Stuckey here of Frosca Restaurant in Boulder is you want competition. You want competition because it keeps you engaged and fresh and really like vitalized, you know, around your work. Right. Um, It keeps a little fire going under your tush. It does. But it needn't be. This is where I think we can be competitive without being a negative thing. It needn't be about besting one another. Let the competition be that you make your offerings the best and most, I'll say it, authentic as you possibly can, meaning authentic as in in alignment with your point of view on yoga, what you think is important and valuable to folks. Like, let the community competition stir you to really refine your offering, not because you're competing with each other, but so the right people can find you. You know, meaning the right people being those that resonate with what you're offering. That kind of reminds me of what we always talk about within women's sports, which is too often female athletes and women's sports get pitted against each other. And then they start defending their small piece of the pie Mm -hmm. instead of looking at it like, let's actually grow the pie bigger. Totally. That's that's something that you can always see happen with like, well, the WNBA's numbers are you know, the women's basketball numbers are down television wise and maybe women's softball is stealing them. So all of a sudden there's this competition between them instead of saying like, let's all lift each other up and grow the pie. Exactly. Um, Do you think that pre 2008 ish, right? Twitter, Instagram, all that. Do you think the vibes of comparison and competition, uh, they obviously would have still existed, but how did this, technology and social media impact what you've seen in like the undercurrent of, of yoga. And I want to add on to that too. And Gina, you and I have personally talked about this before. How has social media changed what people want? And, you know, especially Mm -hmm. for teachers, I feel like it used to be, you know, offer your students good teaching, give them the tools that they need to be a better student, to be a better teacher 
And now with all these complications and like what you're talking about, um, competition that you see on social media, I see and I, I, I feel challenged myself is shaping what I'm offering. Like, is it even what people want? Am I giving them what fills this, uh, what feels like superficial vanilla bullshit? Instead mm. of what once upon a time I thought was meaningful, you know, for example, I'll read someone's bio and back in the day, if you read a teacher's bio, it was always trained by blah, 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 200 mm-hmm. hours from blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And now yeah. it's like, I love- logged on on 2013. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really do reflect on this a lot because I, I remember a time when uh, yoga was not represented in the way that it is now. But if you just step back and think about it, it's like, what are the great fruits of yoga? I mean, this is just my opinion. Everybody's going to have their own idea of what the fruits are, just like everybody has their own favorite cookie. But I'm, I think... What's your favorite fr- fruit? <laughs> my favorite fruit? Well, that's easy, Kate. Avocado, yo. Oh, okay, but a real fruit. <laughs> that is a real fruit. You know what I mean? A fruit okay, fruit. A banana. A banana. And you know why? Because it's a vehicle for peanut butter. Yeah. You know what's also a vehicle for peanut butter? A cookie. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, my favorite fruit is also a banana because it's very versatile. I can totally. make almond banana pancakes out of them. I can freeze yeah. them and make ice cream out of them. There's a lot you can do with that there, banana. But you were uh, saying no, the fruits of yoga. Yeah, I couldn't live without them. But okay, so we digress from bananas and we're back. So and I remember I remember it was one of my jobs pre-social media at Sacred Movement was creating or at least directing the creation of things like posters and flyers. And you guys, I remember flyers that would have – so what I was saying is how do you capture the fruits of yoga – that are not asana, you know, like how do you capture that photographically? So I remember that one of my responsibilities was to choose photos for these upcoming workshops and the photos, I think the most complex asana that was on a lot of these posters was like half moon. I actually remember when half moon would make you stop when you were walking down the street. Kate just said that's difficult by the way. (laughs) Well, it's not that it's not difficult. No, it's totally, it's not that it's not difficult whatsoever. What I'm getting at is that the, the ante has been upped. Like I yeah. gave up a few years ago. I remember when it was half moon that was like, Ooh, half moon. And then it was like, then the era of handstand. And this yeah. goes back to like 2008 when Catherine is doing a handstand in front of her dad's hall. Honestly, oh, I'm guilty as F. I'm part of no, that whole tribe yeah, but that what, brought the handstands. For sure. But what I'm saying is, Really, like today, would that even warrant slowing down your index finger? It's just a regular handstand now, you know? know. Where now it's you better be be hot plus naked and on one arm. Well, you better be on your fingertips or you know, whatever. So it's it's just fascinating to watch that journey of pre-social media and then it was like, okay, how do we communicate the fruits of yoga? And meditation, for example, or awareness, how on earth do you capture awareness, you know, versus look at this amazing pose and that would stop people and then get them engaged. And yoga girl was one of the first people I know that started to like do these challenges and all of that. And then it just kind of propagated it. So what I feel 
like it's done to yoga, let's say that you just got into yoga in this last decade. What I feel like it's done is really demonstrated that yoga is a path, uh, an evolutionary path of uh, asana and acrobatics. And there's this also relationship that doing those things uh, will somehow make you feel better. And I have to say, I think that's possible. But for a lot of us, small piece of the, the pie. Well, like, yeah, when the proverbial shit hits the fan, I don't do the splits. You know, <laughs> I think that that could be an interesting diversion to whatever's <laughs> going on. But I don't do the splits. So I, I, if I, if I was in charge of the universe, I would say like, let's okay, let's do these poses. These are great. Like the people that can do the fingertip hollow back handstand splitting all kinds of stuff the people that can do that you know why they can do it because they're putting in hours and hours and hours Absolutely. Of, of single pointed focus to do it okay awesome but i would love to speak to that like and also to speak to the value of like let's say you break your wrist where what's your practice now oh Not that as I want, someone you know. who has injuries all yes. over my body and yes. I would dare say some of this really advanced regular addiction to asana, in retrospect, I'm not sure what that did for me as far as my mind and soul connection as, as much as it just tortured my ego, actually. Because yeah. if you get to a certain place in asana where you can perform something that no one else can do and that makes you special, it's very... Yeah it's very dangerous because it can somehow become your worth. And then you associate yeah. your physical ability with this is my worth. And like you said, if you get injured and then you put on weight because you can't do the same things you used to do, like what am I worth anymore? How do I even yeah. find a place? And I, I see, I've experienced that. I see a lot of other yogis going through that or people get pregnant and they feel like, who am I now that I have yeah. this human in my belly and I can't do the things I was doing before. It's, I, yeah. I have very mixed emotions about how advanced asana is, uh, how far we should go with it and how much it serves us. It's so true. I love you guys. Thank Ching you so much. It's been an Mwah. honor. All right. Bye, you guys. Mwah. Love you. And that's a wrap. This is Free Cookies, produced by the amazing Lindsay Collins of FNB Radio. You can email us at freecookiespodcast at gmail.com. You can let us know if you think you'd be good in Jurassic Park. If you think Catherine's underrating my skills at Jurassic Park. Who do you want on your Park. team, me or Kate? Me or Kate? Or do you want a combo? Do you think that maybe the combination of Kate and I on Jurassic Park would be the ultimate dinosaur defending machine and don't forget to rate and review the show it helps others find the program and now we are thanking people weekly who have given us lovely commentary and reviewed us and because we had so many in this last week i'm only going to mention one <laughs> because there's actually only one <laughs> so josephine hagger we love you Rah!